so uh, I noticed when Pastor Dan finished his Christmas series back the week before Christmas that he uh, talked about the appearance of angels on the night that Jesus was born. So you know when angels show up in the Bible that something holy is about to happen, something big, something that God wants to make sure everyone does not miss. So I'd like to begin uh, our scripture this morning with the appearance of angels, but this time uh, in the Old Testament, in in fact, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 32, verse 1, as Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim. Something's about to happen in this camp that God doesn't want anyone to miss. So I wonder why you've come to church this morning. I wonder why you may be watching church online this morning. I hope it's because somewhere in you there's a hope that like, God might show up this morning. God might crash into your life. Something may happen that, that you're, you're meant to pay attention to. I hope that's why. Let's find out. Let's find out. Um, we're going to go on to verse 3. Jacob sent messengers to his, ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. He told them, give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now, I've been living with Uncle Laban. And now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats and many servants, both men and women. I've sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. So he's been gone a long time. He's coming back now with a huge group of servants and all these flock animals. He has to pass through the territory that his brother owns. He just wants to let him, let him know, hey, I'm coming with a big group. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau, and he's already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups. He thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. So as you may have figured out, Jacob did not have a good relationship with his brother. All all through their childhood, all through their early adult years, he was always lying, always scheming. He stole his brother's inheritance. He stole his brother's uh, blessing from his father. So he's been away a long time, and he was coming back thinking, well, that was a long time ago. I'm sure he's forgot about all that. And no, no, he has not forgotten about all that. And this is the moment when Jacob realizes he's gotten himself into this mess. All the lying, all the scheming. This is also the moment where Jacob realizes he doesn't have the power to get himself out of this mess. He doesn't have an army of 400 men. He's got some servants and some uh, family and some flocks and herds. I wonder how many of us come to church that way this morning in a mess and realizing I don't have the power to get me out of this mess and I got myself into this mess maybe with some schemes maybe with some lying maybe just with ignoring God maybe just not making him first you know maybe not all of our messes us but enough of it So if that's where you are, I want to say that you've come to the right place. Church is where you come for that. Church is for people to come when they realize, I've gotten myself into a mess, and I can't get myself out of it. Church is the place where you come to to cry out, oh my God. And that's what Jacob does. 
Verse 9, Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, Lord, you told me, return to your land and to your relatives. And you promised me, I'll treat you kindly. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owned nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my wives and children. But you promised me I will surely let... I know you're stuck on the fact that we said wives, plural. You're like, record scratch. Um, Yeah, we're going to read in the story that he has four wives and 11 kids. Um, It's not okay. It's not okay. Uh, Not even in the Old Testament is okay. Judaism will will deal with this and God will deal with this. But we're not going to deal with that aspect of the story today because this is not where that happens. So we're just going to roll with the the, the guy's a hot mess. And we're just going to take the story right there, okay? Here, he got the wives. Okay. <laughs> but you promised me I will surely treat you kindly and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands along the seashore. Too many to count. This is where Jacob realizes he didn't get all this wealth and all this favor on his own. In fact, it had very little to do with anything he did. It wasn't the lies and it wasn't the schemes. It was the grace of God and a gift of God that he has this stuff. And, and he's realizing how little he has really done with it and how really squandered it is. I, I come here kind of like that this morning. I've been on a four-month journey of realizing just how far I had drifted from God without knowing it. Questions like, when's the last time you sat down with your wife and read the Bible? Questions like, when's the last time you told your neighbor about Jesus? Uh, Questions like, when's the last time you got up every morning early and and prayed, God, what would you like from this day? I mean, I never denied God with my words, but my life, to look at it, clearly said he's not first. I mean, he's in the ranking somewhere, but he's not first. I was a lot further out to sea than I thought. I want to say, if that's how you feel, you've come to the right place. Church is the place where you come when you realize, I've gotten further from these things than I meant to, certainly further than I should have. When Jacob realizes that he's further than he should have, he starts making deals. Verse 13, Jacob stayed where he was for the night. Then he selected these gifts from his possessions to present to his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female cattle and their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. He divided these animals into herds and assigned each to different servants. Then he told his servants, go ahead of me toward that army. Uh, with the animals, but keep some distance between the herds. He gave these instructions to the men leading the first group. When my brother Esau meets you, he'll ask, whose servants are you? Where are you going? Who owns these animals? But you must reply, they belong to your servant, Jacob, but they are a gift for his master, Esau. Listen to the suck-up language going on there. Um, uh, Look, he's coming right behind us. Jacob gave the same instructions to the second and the third herdsman. You must say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. 
and be sure to say, look, your servant, Jacob, is right behind us. Jacob thought, I'll try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. And when I see him in person, perhaps he'll be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent the night in the camp making deals. Oh, man. Remember when we were kids and we used to make deals with God? I mean, even if you're not raised in church, like, you know, in your heart, it's time to make some deals with God. Like, please, God, if you will uh, just let me pass this test, I will study for all the ones to come. Uh, God, if you will give us a snow day tomorrow, because my project is not finished, I promise I will never procrastinate another project again. And I will work on the project all day. I will not, as I actually did, go out and ride a snow disc. Um, Lord, if you keep my parents from finding out, I promise I will never do that again. We made deals with God when we were, when we were children. Then we grew up a little bit and we realized that's kind of lame and we stopped doing that. But then we got even older and life got really complicated. And we started making deals again. Oh God, if you will keep me from getting caught for this, I promise I will not, I will not do that again. Lord, if you'll just kind of let that stupid remark, that stupid action just go by, I will not, I will not do that again. God, if you will bail me out of this health crisis, if you will bail me out of this financial crisis, if you will just do a miracle and, and hit the reset, I will, I will pray more, I will serve more, I will give more, I will go to church more, I will, whatever it is you want more or less of, I will do it, Lord, can we just cut a deal? Except now we're older and wiser and we know, like, we're not cute kids anymore. And God cannot be bought and what will be, will be. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons, and he crossed the Jabbok River with them after taking them to the other side. He sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob alone in the camp. So after he split his family into two groups, he's just going to manage his losses. The best he can hope for is to get away with half of everything that he loves. Now he's alone. This is the place where if God's going to appear, that it could happen. For everyone who uh, went on that retreat this weekend with Pastor Dan, for, for all of you who weren't able to go this time but are going next time, this is what you're doing. This is why you go on retreat. You're sending everything to one side of the river. You're sending yourself off so you can be alone and in that place, maybe hear or experience something from God that you've just been too distracted to experience before. Verse 24. And a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then the man said, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now this got weird. A guy shows up in the night, and he tackles Jacob. And they're rolling around, and this MMA ground fight lasts all night. And then when it starts to get light in the sky, Jacob's the tough old bird. He's not letting go. He's, he's taking this guy. And then the guy reaches down, touches his leg, 
and his bone goes out of its socket. Now, what does that mean? First of all, this is not just some guy who showed up. There's a limited number of beings in the universe who can touch your leg and rip it off. And it also means, Jacob, you're not really winning this match. I could have touched you in the first 30 seconds and pulled you apart, but I didn't because this is about something else. There's something else going on here. What is your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob. You know, Jacob means little schemer, right? It means, that's what the name means. It means like a little liar, like a little heel grasper, a little person who comes to trick you. That's a weird name for parents to give their kids. But you and I both know you've heard weirder. So, uh, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel. Because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Israel means one who struggles with God and with men. And he becomes the father of the nation that you're all thinking of right now. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Yeah, he got it right. That's who this is. That's who shows up at night and wrestles with him and pulls his leg out of joint. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. He hung on to God all night. This hanging on to God, even while God is beating you up, is a thing. It's a thing that happens in the spiritual life. It's a thing the Bible talks about a lot. Have you ever heard of a guy named Job? Compared to Job, Jacob got off easy. Jacob just got his leg torn off. But Job loses his wife and all of his adult children in a disaster that destroys his home. And then he loses all his wealth. And then he gets a gross disease. And he's laying in the dirt, dying. And everybody's kind of picking on him. And laying there, dying in the dirt... In Job 13, 13, he says, be silent now and leave me alone. Let me speak and I'll face the consequences. Yes, I'll take my life in my own hands and I'll say what I really think. God might kill me, but I have no other hope. I'm going to argue my case with him, but this is what will save me. I'm not godless. If I were, I could not stand before him. Job saying, God might kill me. And I still have to hang on to him. It won't do me any good to drift. That won't fix it. It won't do me any good to deny, to become distracted. That's not going to help. He's all I got. Even if he's killing me, he's all I got. I just got to hang on. This is a thing that happens in the scriptures and in the spiritual life. And let's not forget the one we came to talk about, Jesus. I mean, Jesus is, is... is abandoned by his friends. He's accused of crimes he did not commit. He's put on a trial with fake witnesses. He's stripped naked in front of his mom and his friends and the whole town and tortured all afternoon and then hung on a cross to die slowly. And the night before, knowing all that is going to happen, he goes to a garden to pray. Uh, Matthew 26, uh, 38 
He said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. They don't. They all fall asleep. He went on a little further and bowed down his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Did you know that Jesus prayed that all of that day would not happen? He said, God, if you can take that away, just do it. But if that's your will, I'll hang on to you. Even while I'm dying, if that's your will, I will hang on to you. So Jacob hung on even when God was tearing his leg off. Job hung on when he was losing his family, his wealth, and his health. Jesus hung on when he's being shamed, tortured, and executed. And that's why they're all three blessed. They're all three blessed because they hung on to God. And that's what has you and I so nervous right now. Because we didn't all hang on. I didn't hang on. I got disgruntled and drifted a lot further off than I thought. Away from these stories, away from prayer, away from sharing faith. God must be angry. Yeah, yeah, God's angry. I know, it's tempting to say, oh, God's not angry, but you'll just go read the Bible and find out that, yeah, he is. God's angry a lot. Jesus gets angry sometimes. God's angry. Every parent in the room already kind of knew God was angry because you raise children and you tell them, you know, go this way, don't go that way. Hang out with these people. Avoid these kind of people. Uh, Do this. That's good for you. Don't procrastinate this and put that off. And when they do the absolute opposite of everything that you told them to do, and they end up in a whole heap of trouble and bring a lot of drama into the house, you are tear your hair out angry. But let's not be childish about God's anger. Let's not be childish about God's anger. Children don't understand why their parents are angry, right? Children get this answer wrong every time. When you ask a kid, well, why are your parents so mad? Why are they yelling at you? Why are they punishing you? Why won't they rescue you? Kids always have the same answer. Because my parents. Some of you said a word I can't repeat. I I was looking for hate me. How many said that one? Because my parents hate me. But That's what kids say. That's not true. Every parent in the room knows that's not true either. Uh, people who don't have children learn this other ways. But people who do have children always say, once I had children, I learned about the grace and love of God. You hear every parent say that. Once I had children, I learned what the grace and love of God was. And, 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 and this is why. Because when your kid stands before you drunk in the middle of the night, when your kid stands before you with a police officer, when your kid stands before you with an F on the report card, with a wrecked car, cut from the team, with no friends, in that moment, there is not one cell of your body that does not love them. And your heart breaks for them. And you want in that moment to do nothing more when you see the anguish on their face as they come to terms with what they have done to themselves and everyone around them. You just want to trade places with them. Because 
you can handle this, what they're going through, and they don't have the tools. And you're, and you're like, if I could just trade places with you, I, in just a week, could have you living differently so that you wouldn't be here. Well, that's what we want to do as parents. And that's what God wants to do with us. The trick is, God can actually do it. God can actually trade places with us. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came to make this trade. And so when he's dying on that cross, as he's crying out, God says, there, that's the moment. That's the moment I trade places with you. This is why I came as a human to trade places with all humans. That's the moment I faced the temptations you could not face and I beat them. That's the moment that I faced the enemy, death, that you are powerless over and I defeat it. Now just hang on to me. Hang on to my son and I will bring you home. Job was only able to hang on to God because he knew somehow that something like this was going to happen. In Job 19.25, he says, But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. I don't know if I ever realized it until I was just getting ready to this message, but Job is saying like, I have this impossible thought, like I'm going to lay here and die and turn to dust, yet I know somehow God's going to put me back in my body, and I'm going to see God face to face. I don't know how that's going to happen, but I just feel like that's what's going to happen. This was hundreds of years before anyone was talking about a cross or a Jesus or a resurrection. That's what gives Job the power to hang on. This is why Moses was hanging on because he knew God was going to do something like this. Deuteronomy 18, 18, Moses said that God told him, I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people everything I command him. Moses like, that's why I'm hanging on. I didn't even get all the way to the promised land, but I know he's going to send someone to continue this mission of leading people's salvation. So I'm hanging on. What I can't finish He's going to finish. He just knew somehow. That was a, a thousand years before Jesus or the cross or anything like that. And another thousand years before that, Jacob's getting old and he's about to die. And he's going along laying his hands on his 11 sons to bless them. And when he gets to Judah, his oldest son, he puts his hands on his head and he says, Oh, from this one, the rod of rulership will never depart. Genesis 49.10. Like from this one. There will always be a ruler. And then, like a thousand years after that, King David is born from the line of Judah. Best king Israel ever had. And God says to David, from you, one will always be on the throne. And then 500 years after that, the prophets start saying, from this line of Judah and this line of David, there's going to be a a shoot that like grows off of a stump that everyone thought was dead. This branch is going to come to life. And from the line of Judah and the line of David, this branch is going to bring salvation to the whole world. Until 500 years after that, in 
In Luke chapter 1, an angel appears to Mary and says, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And we're back to those angels again. Because the story was always about this. It was always about Jesus. He's woven into every story because God always, with the parents' love, was saying, I'm going to come and trade places with you. This is what you come to church for. You come to church to hear this story that's woven into every story. And we come to church to say two things. Lord, I admit, I got myself into this mess. I knew better, either because I was raised to know better or just the common sense of knowing you shouldn't do stuff like that or that place God hides in our heart that draws us to him. I got myself into this mess. And the second thing we come to say is, but God, I'm so glad that you sent Jesus to trade places. And you invite me now to hang on to him who has beaten the temptations I couldn't beat and won the victories I couldn't win. If I just hang on to him, he'll bring me to you and he'll bring me to life and he'll bring me to eternal life. So I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna hang on to him. And when you hang on, he blesses you. And it's gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. When we pray this prayer together, let's, let's pray together. Father, I come to you this morning, uh, perhaps in a mess. Lord, there's an awful lot of me in why I am in this mess. But Lord, I am so thankful that you have sent Jesus to show your love, your parents' love that wants to trade places. And Lord, you did. And I believe that he, he beat the enemy I couldn't beat. He's won the victory I couldn't win. And Lord, you invite me to hang on to Jesus, that you will bring me to new life and I don't understand everything that that means, but I understand enough to know that I want it. I want to hang on to Jesus. Give me a new name today, God. Give me a new name. Christian. Amen. You're going to be okay. We've got to finish our story, though. Oh, we weren't finished with our story? No. Nope. Genesis 33, 1. Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. Oh, we forgot. We were so excited. We forgot 400 soldiers are coming to kill us. We forgot that after we prayed, you're still going to go out to the mess that you came in here with. Great. Doggone it. So he divided his children among Leah and Rachel and his two servant wives. Doggone it. Here it comes. Here it comes. Verse 4. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they both wept. This is when God's like, oh yeah, I'm saving it all. You thought you had to split it up and try to get out with half? I'm saving it all. I'm saving the whole family. I'm saving the whole herds. I'm even giving you back the brother that you cheated your whole life. For a little while. Oh, I'm giving you back your brother. Today is a good day. Whatever it is that you're worried about losing, God can save it all. Hang on to him. Hang on to him.
and you're going to be okay. Amen. <laughs>